the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. While you're finding your place, let me take this opportunity to say how thrilled I am to be here and uh, to say I'm humbled in one of the South American tribal dialects is literally translated, my head is in the dirt. And Pastor, I, I feel humbled this morning to be here, and I'm so glad, and thank you for the opportunity of letting me come. Good days, brother. I appreciate you taking us down memory lane. And uh, I appreciate uh, Brother Randy Barton. He is a pastor's pastor, amen? And I thank the Lord for him, for his ministry, and what God is doing through him, and looking forward to this great week. Here we are, 2018 Sherathon. We've been looking for this, waiting for this for some time. Well, here it is. Let's enjoy it this week, shall we? 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to look down with me, please, in verse number 7. The Apostle Peter writing to the scattered Jewish believers. And he says to them in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I want to preach for just a little while this morning on this subject, the antidote for anxiety. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful today for the opportunity to be together, for what our ears have heard already this morning. Father, for the good singing that we have been ministered to with. Lord, for the brethren calling out the pledges this morning and already moving in the direction, Father, of reaching that blessed goal that has been set for this week of share And Lord, as we've met together this morning, we, we come together and Lord, I stand here this morning in desperate need of your help and your blessing. I readily confess before this good congregation and these my brother preachers, my inadequacy, my insufficiency, but Father, I claim this morning the adequacy and the sufficiency of the anointing of your Spirit. And Father, I pray the Word of God will find a lodging place in our hearts today. Speak to us. Lock us in with yourself as it were for just a little while, we pray. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do and bless us in this wonderful week of Sherathon. In the name, the preeminent name, that bloodstained name of our Lord Jesus, we humbly pray. And all of God's people said... Thank you, and you may be seated. If we allow it, there will always be something to worry about in this life. The story is told of a young man who was applying for a job in a busy textile factory. Asking for the owner, he found himself in the presence of a nervous, fidgety little man who looked hopelessly tired and ill. The only available position here, he said, is the vice presidency. And the man who takes the job must shoulder all my cares. The young applicant said, that sounds like a pretty rough job. What does it pay? He said, I'll pay you $100,000 a year if you will handle all my worries. The young man was a little taken back and skeptically he said, and where's the 100000 coming from? The owner smiled faintly, gently placed his hand on his shoulder and said, that, my boy, is your first worry, he said. <laughs> Medical experts tell us that there is no disputing the fact that 
Worrying about something does more harm to the one worrying than the worry itself. Medical research has proven that worry breaks down resistance to disease. More than that, it actually harms the nervous system, particularly that of the digestive organs and even the heart. Add to this sleepless nights and days void of internal sunshine and you have just a glimpse of the terrible work that worry does in devastating the human body. It was Dr. Leonard Fosdick of Northwestern University who proved conclusively that worry restricts the flow of saliva in the mouth. Consequently, natural mouth acids are not completely neutralized and so true tooth decay occurs. I'm trying to say if you worry, you lose your teeth. And Jesus Christ himself said, do not worry. Be anxious for nothing. Trust the God who loves you more than the fowl of the air and the beast of the field and the lilies out on the lawn. Trust him even more. It was Dr. Vance Havner who said, Worry like a rocking chair will give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. And for many years now, I've enjoyed the practical wisdom and even the humor of former British Prime Minister Sir Winston Churchill. Said Mr. Churchill, when I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who on his deathbed said that he had had a lot of trouble in his life, the most of which never happened. (laughs) Well, that's about it, isn't it? A lot of times what I worry about really never happens. You know, it would be one thing if unsaved people were the only ones worrying, but do you know that even Christians are susceptible to seasons of worry and anxiety? Now, key question, what do I do as a believer with worry and anxiety? What do I do with the cares of this life. Well, I want to say to you, Peter gives to us an inspired directive related to this matter of an antidote for anxiety. I want you to look at that with me for a few minutes this morning and let me mention to you the first antidote or the first ingredient I should say in that antidote. There is the counsel that is given to us. Notice the first four words in your text. Casting all your care. I say to you that Peter counsels us regarding the surrender of our anxieties. Notice the first word in the text. It's in the form of a participle. Casting. Now that's an unusual word used by Peter here. Not trying to be a a smart aleck here, but it's used actually translated from a compound word in the Greek New Testament. It's the word epiripto. It's the word that in its prefix actually is the Greek preposition meaning upon. And then there's the Greek verb ripto that means to hurl or to throw. Literally to hurl or throw upon through the idea of getting rid of something. And in the nuance of this word, it includes the idea of doing so in haste. I read about a man who frequently entered the local blacksmith's shop to look around. 
Each time he went in there, he would go around and he would literally pick up every implement that the blacksmith had made. Well, this absolutely annoyed the blacksmith to no end. And he decided that he'd put an end to this visitor's annoying habit of picking things up. One day the artisan saw the man coming toward his shop and so he took a pair of metal tongs and he placed a recently red-hot heated horseshoe out on the shop anvil. The man entered the shop and sure enough, he spied that horseshoe. He reached and picked it up and he immediately threw it to the floor, waving and showing his hand feverishly. Well, the blacksmith said in a very sadistic tone, too hot for you, huh? man said, nope, just don't take me long to look at a horseshoe, he said. <laughs> you remember I mentioned to you that, that root word, the word ripto, meaning to throw or to hurl? I'm saying to you this morning, that word conveys the thought of sudden, spontaneous movement. You'll find it used in several instances in the New Testament. You'll find it used, for example, in the gospel narratives. And the word is illustrated in the desperate act of Judas Iscariot who sold our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. I read from Matthew chapter 27, the opening part of verse 5, and he cast down, there's our word, ripto, the pieces of silver in the temple. The point I'm trying to make, beloved, is this. Given the danger to our spiritual and our physical health, we dare not hold on to worry and anxiety. Now let me say something else about this word casting. And again, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but it's helped me to study a little bit. I've got some resources the Lord has allowed me to have that's helped me. This word casting, it's rendered in what's known as the aorist tense. Now, Oriental linguists recognize the aorist tense in the Koine Greek language of Peter's day as suggesting thoroughness of action. It's closely akin to the thought of once and for all. It's also noteworthy that this word casting is translated in the active voice. Now you grammarians and you English majors recognize that the active voice says the subject performs the action, whereas the passive voice says the subject is the recipient of the action. We're told here, I'm told here, casting. It's in the active voice. That implies a privilege God has given to me and a responsibility I am to assume. When Peter says for me in relation to my cares, casting, it's something nobody can do for me. It's something I must do. Casting, he says. I must not let worry and anxiety destroy me. I must take action. Now, I want you to keep in mind as we're studying here the meaning of this word casting. It means to throw. It means to hurl upon in haste. In the 19th chapter of the gospel according to Luke, that synoptic gospel, we have the historical narrative of the Lord Jesus going into Jerusalem just before he was crucified. I lift out verse 35 of Luke chapter 19 and I read... And they brought him, that is a little donkey, to Jesus. And they 
cast, there's our word, epiripto, their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus thereon. If you go back and you read the context of Luke chapter 19, you're going to discover that there was a spirit of excitement and anticipation in the lives of these people. I mean, they were so excited. The Lord Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. They just reached and just ripped off that outer tunic and that outer robe, and they just threw those things on that little donkey, forming a crude saddle for our Lord to sit in. There's the word. They cast their garments on that little donkey. I'm saying to you this morning, we're to surrender our worries, our anxieties to another as well. I'm going to magnify. I want to expand on that very briefly in just a moment. There is the surrender of our anxieties, Peter speaks of. But notice something else here. He mentions the scope of our anxieties. Just what kind of worries can I cast on him? There's some things, Lord, that are so big, I want you to handle them. But Lord, there's some things probably I can handle myself. Look what Peter says in relation to the scope of our anxieties. Casting all your care. Now some words in scripture are profound in their meaning even though they are small words. Such as this little word all. It's used comprehensively here by Simon Peter in relation to each and every one of something. I'm talking about the whole. And it expands, beloved, to include anything and everything. No exceptions. Casting all, notice the possessive case, your care. Not his care. Not her care. Not even their care. But your care. The possessive case. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to underscore Peter's reference to the word care. You might want to put a circle of thought around that word. It's a very important word. It's from the word marimna. It's the Greek word that suggests an anxious concern, especially in relation to the future. It means to be overly concerned and preoccupied to the point of despondency and even desperation. Now the root word here conveys the idea of drawing in different directions. In other words, to distract. When Peter speaks of the care that he's referring to here, he's talking about, beloved, worry and anxiety that is so intense it distracts and even tortures the mind. Now I'm aware of the fact that Many of us, most of us, we think pretty much we've got it together. And thank God for the times when we feel that way to a point. But let me say to you this morning that just because you and I are saved with the grace of God, that does not exempt us from the cares and the concerns and the anxieties and yes, even the worries of life. Somebody says it's a sin to worry. That's exactly right. But I'm going to tell you what's an even greater sin. As far as we're going to classify it here. Worry is a sin. But refusing the antidote for it is even a greater sin as far as I'm concerned. You see, God has provided a way for us. 
to handle these worries and these cares and these anxieties. Your care, he says, casting all your care, anything and everything that personally worries or troubles you. Believers, my brothers, my sisters in Christ, we must hasten to release our worries and our anxieties. We must throw them upon another. If you worry, if I worry, my hand's up, incidentally. But if I worry and refuse the provision God's made for me to handle that worry, to handle that anxiety, I'm heading for trouble not only from a spiritual standpoint, but I'm heading for some trouble physically. Casting all your care upon him, he talks about. Now, there is, before we leave this particular section of the scripture, before I leave this word care, there's a significant reference to it in the writings of the Apostle Paul. In his second epistle to the church at Corinth, in which he defends his apostleship, Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Listen as I read. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care, there's our word marimna, of all the churches. What's Paul saying here? I'm saying to you, Paul bore the burden of a New Testament pastor. He had a deep concern for the local churches of his day. And his emphasis here is more on the personal responsibility that he felt for those local New Testament churches, many of which he himself had planted there in Asia Minor. What are you saying, Preacher Lee? At the risk of sounding like I'm blowing my own horn, and I'm assure, I assure you I'm not, the pastor often carries a load that many times people are unaware of. I think about immediately, I think about our pastor, I think about Pastor Barton, I think about the responsibility I know he feels for this great church that he pastors. And then what can I say about the many aspects of Anchor Baptist Ministries that he's overseeing, that God has given to him and entrusted to his supervision? I say to you, he understands that there are burdens sometimes that are carried. And let me say something else here, lest you misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not telling you that the ministry is a burden. I like what my pastor, I like what Brother Ray Aiken used to say. He used to quote D.O. Moody. Moody said, I get weary in the work, but never of the work. I'm saying to you this morning as I... As I was driving down the road, and even last night as I was in bed and I was meditating and thinking over what Peter had to say, my mind seemed to be going to different places in Transylvania County. I went to different churches where my brother pastors, many of whom are here this morning, I know you personally, and I know the church you pastor, and I have the privilege of pastoring with you, and I thank the Lord for that. But I thought about the many men of God who take their calling extremely serious from the standpoint of realizing they are responsible for the oversight of that local assembly. Preacher, what are you trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say. We must not forget our pastors and the weight of responsibility they bear for the local New Testament church that they shepherd. 
If you, dear friend, my brother, my sister in Christ, if you've got a man of God in the pulpit who loves you enough to open this blessed book despite popular opinion, despite where religious trends are going, if you've got a man that loves you enough to open this book, you ought to find you a private place. Get down on your face before God and thank God for that man of God. And let me say something else, bless God, while I'm right there. Bible-believing, Bible-preaching preachers are our friends, not our enemies. I've listened to this crowd for so long now. I, he preaches too hard. Dear Lord, I've sat under some of the best. I mean, they've skinned me from top to bottom. They've skinned me all over. But I stand here this morning and I say in their memory this morning, thank God for some men that love me enough to tell me the truth. That man that loves you is the man, I'm, I'm labor here for a minute. That man that loves you is the man that'll tell you the truth. Nobody, nobody take hide off more than Oliver B. Greenwood. But dear Lord, Brother Barton, God bless you for having that broadcast on every night at 10 o'clock. My soul, I'm, I'm, I'm already, I'm retired for the evening. I'm, I'm lying there in the bed just to And all of a sudden, this is the gospel hour. Boy, I'm going to tell you, brother, there's something just thrilling goes through my soul to hear that. And in the next 30 minutes, what can I say? Man, that man preaches. And, and so many others. I'm looking at men this morning. I'm not worthy to hold your coat, brethren. But I thank God for you telling the truth. I thank God for you preaching the word. I thank God for you caring enough to tell us the truth of God. Thank God for you. Let's not forget our pastors this morning as we think about this antidote for anxiety. And could I say just a word to you, brethren, just a moment? I want you to listen carefully to me lest you misunderstand me. We must not allow our ministries to master us. We must, by the grace of God, ongoing master the ministry God's given to us. The Lord Jesus made it very plain. I alone am your Lord. We have one master, only Christ. It's not God's will for me to sit despondently and worry to the point of injuring my health about the ministry that I'm in. I know that sounds, I understand that sounds, I've heard that too, I've heard it. I'd rather, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm thanking God for everyone who's running in high gear. I'm glad for that. But you know what happens when you put jet fuel in a lawnmower? <laughs> that motor will burn slap up. What are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you, you better pace yourself, my brother. You better be sure what you're doing is not for the approval of men, but it's for the approval of God Almighty. I'm talking about the counsel that's given. Let me hurry. There's not only the counsel that's given in this antidote for anxiety, but look with me quickly at the consignment that's to be made regarding this anxiety, this worry that we have. I want to mention two words from the text. And from these two words, I want to build three particular aspects upon it. Casting all your care, look at it, upon Him. There is the specific person we are to cast our cares upon. There is the special place where we can cast our cares upon Him. 
And there is the settled point at which we cast our cares upon Him. Let me look at them with you briefly. The specific person that we can cast our cares upon. Do you recall that little beast of burden and the people casting their garments on that little beast of burden in Luke chapter 19 verse 35? That little donkey became the bearer of those people's garments. I want to say to you this morning, thank God, we have one that we can at once cast our burdens upon. I do not know this morning, but perhaps in this auditorium or listening by way of radio or the internet, you're listening this morning and you're carrying a burden. Let me just put it plainly. You're worried about something and you are worried bad. I want to tell you, there's somebody you can take that burden to. There's somebody that cares. There's somebody that's concerned about you. Believers have such a one. Listen as I read from the 15th verse of the 4th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Paul writes, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. Did you notice the apostles' reference To the Lord Jesus, our great high priest, being touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Again, not trying. The word sumpatheo, the prefix sum means with. The verb patheo means to feel or even to hurt. To hurt with. Every time I am burdened, every time I find myself worried or anxious, it concerns him. He feels along with me. Have you ever been guilty of saying what I've said before? Nobody knows what I'm going through. Oh, I just wish there's somebody. Like Job said, there was a daysman betwixt us. I wish there was somebody that knew how I felt. Listen to me, friend. There is someone who knows exactly how you feel. Preacher, how can you say that? Did you notice what the writer said? He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. No, he didn't sin against God, but he was down here and experienced the testings that human beings go through so he could be qualified to be the faithful great high priest that he is. And when I go before him burdened and worried, I don't have to sit there, pray there and wonder. I wonder if he understands what I'm saying. He knows exactly how I feel. He feels right along with me. Preacher, it's just too good to be true. Thank God it's true. It's true. It's true. I'm saying to you this morning, we can cast our cares, but he is the special person we can cast ourselves, our cares upon. But would you look at something else? Let me amplify something here. There's a special place where we cast our cares upon him. If I've learned one thing in the past several years of ministry, I've learned that To my shame, I'm not taking advantage of the blessed provision that God has given me in the Christian life called prayer. If I had to confess sin to you, and I I can confess a lot, there are times whenever I don't pray like I ought to pray. 
There's times whenever I don't resort to prayer when I should resort to prayer. You heard about the two dear ladies. They were talking one to another and one of them confided in the other and told her some terrible situation. And she said, it's just so bad, I've prayed about it. And the other lady said, my goodness, has it gotten that bad that you're praying about it? No, friend, prayer's not to be my last resort. Prayer's to be my first resort. The privilege to pray. Now, many saints of God have resorted to what the Bible teaches and calls closet prayer. Listen as I read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 6. Our Lord Jesus teaching his disciples about prayer. He says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which seeth in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, I'm fascinated by this verse of Scripture for many reasons, not the least of which is our Lord's reference where he says, Enter into thy closet. Nineteen times in your King James New Testament, that Greek verb, a circle my, is translated come in. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that when the Lord Jesus said, enter into your closet, he's in essence saying, I'll be there. I'll meet you there. How many times, friend, have you had a burden, bless God, that's going to crush you beneath its weight? And you fled to that prayer closet, went in there and didn't get the door shut until you fell into the waiting arms of the Son of God who's waiting there for you in that prayer closet. Dear Lord, this morning you can charge hell with a squirt gun with that, brother, knowing that he's waiting for you there when you've got a burden or a worry that's about to wear you out. My hand is up. Don't... Y'all won't tell anybody, will you? Sometimes Preacher Lee worries. And I'm going to tell you, when I read a passage of Scripture like this, man, I'm rebuked in my spirit. I do not have to be wearied with worry. I do not have to be that way. You worried about something this morning? <laughs> you don't have to be. There's that place, that private place, that open secret place for believers, free from worldly distractions and hindrances. And many a troubled saint has limped, if you pleased, into that private place of prayer, whether it's in a prayer closet or an old-fashioned altar like this this morning, only to find in that prayer closet the reality of that old hymn that reads, leave it there, leave it there. Bring your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Bring your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Casting all your care, anything and everything that worries you, casting it, throwing it in haste, on him. I can't help but believe as the Holy Ghost is bearing Peter along the path of divine inspiration right here. I can't help but believe, or believe that Peter has the 55th Psalm, verse 22 in mind. The psalmist writes, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous 
to be moved. But preacher, wait a moment. I, this thing I'm worrying about, man, you don't understand, preacher. This is a real worry I've got. It's bigger than a full-grown bull moose. and It's meaner than a full-grown gorilla. And preacher, I, I just, I don't. Listen, friend. His shoulders are strong. He can bear that burden. His shoulders are so strong that this blessed book that I hold in my hand and you rest in your lap says that one day the millennial government of this earth will rest upon him. And friend, if the government of this universe, he can hold it in the hollow of his mighty hand, I'm persuaded this morning to believe he can help me with a little burden of care I'm carrying around. What are you saying, preacher? I'm talking about a special place where we cast our cares. Well, quickly, look please at the settled point at which we cast our care. Now, we've entered into that prayer closet or perhaps we have gotten into that old-fashioned altar. We've knelt here somewhere in this area and we're burdened. And the cares of life are very real. But our Lord Jesus is even more real. And when we meet Him in that prayer closet or we meet Him in this altar, at some point while we're praying the blessed Holy Spirit will infuse us with the enabling grace of God to simply release from our spirit, to release from our minds, to release from our hearts that burden that's just about to crush us beneath its weight. Preacher, that that sounds very mystical. It's not mystical. It's as practical as it can be. There's that place, friend, where you bow and you call on Him and you're trusting Him. The Spirit of God will enable you to roll that burden on Him. (laughs) Dear Lord, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you right here, God bless you, you've had a burden so heavy, it stooped you over. And no man can help you. Thank God for our brothers and sisters in Christ who can pray for us and come alongside of us and help us every way they can. But there reaches a point where the grace of God's got to become operative. Dr. John Economitis, little Greek professor at Temple, one morning in pastoral epistles, he lit a fire under me. He talked very monotone. <laughs> But he said, now, gentlemen, told us preacher, but he said, now, gentlemen, when we talk about the grace of God, he said, we're not talking just about the grace of God to save us, but we're talking about the grace of God being divine enablement. Dear Lord, now, some of you already got it. That's the first time in my Christian life I'd ever heard the grace of God in terms of divine enablement. And the more I've studied this blessed book, I'm finding that's exactly what the grace... It enables me. There will be that point where you may be wetting the carpet with your tears. You may be wetting the floor of that prayer closet with your tears. But mark it down, friend. The Holy Ghost of God will move in your direction, give you grace, and enable you to roll that burden on Him. What was it the old preacher said? Better felt than telt. Somebody help me. Amen. There is that special place where we meet with that special person for the settled purpose of throwing a care or a worry upon him. Don't you worry. (laughs) No pun intended. He's not weary. (laughs) Now wait a minute, Ricky. Don't 
whoa, whoa, I've got all these. I've got Brother Randy's. I've got Brother Allen's. I've got these other. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, take your turn. Never once. Never once. Never once has the prayer line to heaven ever been busy when I call. Never once. I want to be so careful here. I am nothing but fuel for the fire. But ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, when I go to him through the shed blood and the finished work and the unchangeable, unending priesthood of my great high priest, the Lord Jesus, when I go to him, the ears of my heavenly father are open to me. To me. I understand him listening to Pastor Barton. I understand him listening to my pastor. I understand him listening to you women of God. I understand that. But dear God, this morning, him listening to me. Him listening to me. Him listening to me. Oh, Preacher Lee, Preacher Lee, you're a pretty good guy. Son, if you knew me, you wouldn't come to hear me preach. But if I knew you, I wouldn't come preach to you either. Amen. <laughs> what are you saying, Preacher? I'm saying unworthy though we be, there's one who's listening. There's one who's loving. And let me be real bold in my alliteration. There's one who's longing. To take that burden and that worry and that care from you. There's a settled point at which the risen Lord Jesus takes that care. The grace of God enables us to throw it in haste upon him. We consign, if you please, our worries. We give them over to him. Now, preacher, isn't that sort of, <laughs> come on, preacher, isn't that sort of cop out? Listen to me carefully. This matter of casting our cares upon him, it does not promote irresponsibility, indifference, or carelessness. It is rather the biblical pattern and the biblical way of dealing with problems and burdens that we cannot bear. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anyone's macho image. But my brother, we're not as strong as we may think we are. I am never my strongest until I realize my weakness. I am never stronger than when I'm down on my knees before the risen Christ handing a burden over to him because I can't bear it. What do you mean, preacher? I've got a choice. Now you, you hyper-Calvinists hanging here with me. I've got a choice. I can either bear that burden and lose my teeth or I can cast it on him, my burden bearer. Choice is mine. And son, I've already determined I'm going to keep them as long as I can. Amen? You, <laughs> you heard Brother Billy Kelly, what Brother Billy Kelly said. He said that fellow was up in camp meetings trying to sing. He said he's trying to sing. He started singing the, the, the top plate of those faults dropped right out on the platform. Picked them up, put them right back in. Started singing again. Dropped right out again. Then all of a sudden the bottom part fell out. Brother Kelly said he grabbed up both of them, put them in his pocket, and he gummed the rest of the song, he said. My brother, my sister in Christ, you got a choice. You can either bear that weight. You can, either, you, you can worry yourself to death or you can cast it upon him. I'm talking about this matter of this 
place where I can go, the person I can give it to, and that blessed, blessed privilege of giving him a burden that I can't carry. I'm talking to you. Are you listening to me this morning? By the way, you're here in the auditorium. You're listening by way of radio internet to this great share 2018. Sir, ma'am, could I ask you a personal question? Are you carrying a burden? Are you worried about something that's about to crush you beneath its weight? I want to tell you, take that to the one that loves you and gave himself for you and cast it on him in prayer. I submit to you, he will do the job. I read a story. I'm about through. I read a story. Man, it spoke to me. I hope it will speak to you. The story goes that a local merchant had a case coming up in court, in county court, on which for him everything depended. A decision against him meant absolute ruin. Worrying over that thing day and night, he had become thin, he looked haggard, and he lost his appetite and even his sleep. One day, there came into his shop a friend of his boyhood that he had not seen in many years. His friend was so taken back by his friend's appearance, he said, why, whatever's the matter with you? It's very obvious, my friend, that you're laboring under some kind of weight or worry or burden that's weighing heavily upon your mind. Well, that was just an open door for that worried man to tell his friend about all of his troubles. But then that friend said to him, don't you listen to me. That friend said, don't you trouble any more about it. I am a lawyer now, and I practice at the courts, and I have had just such cases as yours. I see where the point of difficulty in your case is, and I have no doubt we shall be able to get you through all right. You trust, listen, you trust the matter entirely to me. I will appear for you, and all will be well. What a relief that man felt. He had lost his anxiety. You know why? Because he had cast it on his friend. The wise man said, A brother is born for adversity, but don't stop reading there. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You know how brothers are. One minute they'll fight each other, the next minute they'll fight for each other. You know how brother, I, I can speak to that, brother. I never had a brother from an earthly standpoint. But I stand here to tell you this morning, <laughs> I've got an elder brother at the Father's right hand. I'm bragging on him this morning, dear Lord. And do you notice what that man said to that worried man? Don't you worry any more about it. I'll appear for you. Don't you know the weight just rolled off of that man? The next time that you've got a burden and the devil is rubbing your face in the dirt with it, you trust the one that said, I'll appear for you. We've got a great high... Look up here at me for a minute, worried friend. We've got a great high priest at the right hand of the Father and he's there to appear for us. And when God looks at him, God is not only satisfied with me, but he is disposed to help me for the sake of the one who bears the slaughter of his, my crucifixion, if you please, and my sins in his own body there on the tree. You remember in the Old Testament, King Hezekiah and how Sennacherib, that wicked, wicked Assyrian, sent him a word and said, sent him a letter 
probably, probably registered, I'm sure. He, he sent that letter to Hezekiah. And he said, Hezekiah, don't you trust in the God that you claim you know? No other God that of any other people that I have overcome is able to withstand me. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but this is what he said. He said, I'm going to come inside that city and I'm going to kill every woman, every man, every boy, every girl, and I'm going to take you away, Hezekiah, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Now let me ask you a question. If you're a king and you care anything about your people, how would you feel about getting a letter like that? I want to be so careful here. I'm not indicting King Hezekiah, but I believe Hezekiah was a man like I'm a man. And I believe he felt, I believe he felt some anxiety. He went into the temple of God and spread that letter out before God and got down on his knees and looked up through that bejeweled ceiling and said, Oh God, the God of the cherubim with the glory dwells atop the mercy seat. God, read this letter. There's a heathen out there. He's going to come in here and kill every one of us. If you don't do something, oh God, this is more than we can bear. About that time, the door opened and in walked God's prophet, Isaiah. (laughs) Don't trouble yourself about it, Hezekiah. God's already told me. There won't even be an arrow shot in this place. And you know what happened? Before morning, one angel, just one, dispatched from the glory world, went through the host of the Assyrians and killed 185,000 of them. And suddenly, suddenly Sennacherib felt like that the climate of Jerusalem wasn't really good for his health. And I can just... I can just see him picking up what he could, put in his coat, said, let's get out of here. Now let me ask you a question. What do you think Hezekiah did? That's nice. That's good. Thank you. I can't do it. I'm not physically able. Let me tell you, there was some shouting in the temple of God that day, son. Has God ever brought you through and you know his fingerprints are all over your deliverance. I can't repay him, neither can you. But boy, I can praise him. Just give him the glory. Just rejoice that he cared enough to come through and roll that burden off of you, friend. Just rejoice. He's worthy of our praise. I'm saying to you this morning, you carrying a burden? You carrying a weight? You worried? Peter says, casting. And he tells us where? Upon him. All you care upon him. But now quickly, let me answer the question, why? How can it be? There's the counsel that's given in the antidote for anxiety. There's a consignment that's to be made in the antidote, right? Would you let me give you one third ingredient? Real quick, I'm done. There is the consolation that's to be experienced in this antidote. Look at the last four words, last five words of our text. Casting all your care upon him, watch it. For he careth for you. Now, I want you to look at that little word for for just a moment. In our authorized New Testament, in the authorized version, that word for appears no less than 1,293 times. 
But 173 times in the King James New Testament, that same little word is translated because. And it tells us why we're able to cast all our cares upon him. Watch this. Watch this. We can make haste to cast all our cares upon him for or because. Look at the four words. He careth for you. Now let me labor here for just a moment and I'm done. That is clearly he careth for you. That's got to be one of the most remarkable statements I've ever read in the word of God ever. That word careth, he careth for you. Put a, put a circle around it. Put, think about that. It's the word mellow. It's the Greek word that literally means it's a care or a concern to another. In its verb form, it's only used with the third person noun in the New Testament. It's a primary verb that means to be of interest to another. It carries the idea of vigilant care due to affection and compassion. Now, the verb is translated in the present tense. Do you notice here? He careth. It's in the present tense. I just rejoice that he cared for me yesterday. I'm thrilled to know he's going to care for me tomorrow. But boy, I sure like that present tense. Right now, this very moment, in this auditorium, there by the radio, there in front of the computer screen, he careth for you. Right now. I'm not on spiritual probation. I do not have to reach a certain spiritual degree or level before he cares. As weak and unworthy as I am, right now he cares for me. Now you won't tell this on me, will you? Through the years, I've I've never torn a church up, but I've torn some people up in the church. I've got, you won't believe this, I've got some enemies. There's some people that really don't care a whole lot about me. They may read my obituary and actually be glad about it. But friend, you know really, the one that matters is the one that cares. You've got some people on your trail. They, they, they want to see you. It's their mission in life to make life miserable for you. I'm going to tell you those people get real minuscule when you look at what we're looking at, friend. He careth for you right now, this very moment. Oh, but there's more than this. Would you look please at this grammatical construction of the wording here? It's worthy if you notice. Look with me once again. Look at the four words, he careth for you. Now let me go back just for a moment. I'm not trying to be a, a smart aleck here. Our King James Bible is a marvel to say the least. It's a miracle God has given to us the preserved, inspired, infallible, inerrant, the plenary inspired Word of the living God. This is as much God speaking as if God was standing in this pulpit talking this word that I hold in my hand. Now, our New Testament in our King James Bible, and let me say something to you young people. Let me say something. Don't trade that, don't trade that old King James in. Some of this stuff. Don't trade it in. You're just wasting your time. 
I've been plowing, look up here at me for a minute. I've been plowing through this book, not as long as some of these men of God have, but I've been plowing through this book for a few years, and Dr. Sotler said it well. Looks to me like I'd have stumbled over an era, as they say is in there by now. I've been preaching this book over 30 years, friend, and you know what I found? Not one era. What are you saying, preacher? Well, I'm not trying to fight anybody now. Just hold on to your King James Bible. Just hold on to it. Our King James New Testament is translated from a Greek text that's known as the Old Byzantine text. It's the received text. We know it in Latin as the Textus Receptus. It is the Greek text from which our King James Bible is translated. It is faithful. It is true. It is reliable. There are no errors in it. There are multiple errors in some of the Greek texts that underlie many of the new versions in our day. Do you realize today that there are over 13,000 extant Greek manuscripts that are corrupt that were penned in Alexandria, Egypt? They're Greek texts. Did you know that the Watchtower Society in Brooklyn, New York of the Jehovah's Witnesses Kingdom Hall actually has put together their own Greek text and in the New World Translation, that Greek text can justify their translation of John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was a God. There's a Greek text that supports that, friend. It's not the Greek text that supports this, so son. <laughs> now don't get mad at me. I know I understand. Bro. This is one of the... I've had pastors... I've had pastor, I get mad when we talk about the Greek text... But you know something? I need to know something about the mother tongue in which my English Bible was written. The Greek text is not your enemy, brother. I'm talking about the old text. It's the old Byzantine received text. It's not your enemy. It's your friend. When I moved to South Carolina, I was pastoring. Now, now hang in here with me this moment. I hope, pray to God, I don't offend anybody here, but I guess. But I moved down there, and I, I learned. They, were just, they said things differently down there. I was one day asking for a man, I was asking for a pair of jumper cables to jump off my vehicle. He said, just a moment, it's in my boot. Well, I started looking at his foot. I thought, well, how'd he get, the, how'd he get them jumper cables in his boot? He walked around, took his keys, opened the trunk. And, and just in case you want to be right, it's not a boot, it's a trunk. Somebody help me, amen. <laughs> now hold on a minute, preacher. What difference does it make? You don't want to fool that old South Carolina lingo to you. Yeah, if I want them jumper cables to do, somebody say amen right there. <laughs> now, if I want to know, now you don't need to be a, now hold on a minute. You don't need to be a Greek, but I want to try to help you here. I want to show you something here. At least it was a, and I want it to be a blessing to you. That old Byzantine text translated in our King James New Testament, it renders the pronoun. Do you see it there? He careth for you. It renders that pronoun in the dative case. When you couple the dative case of the pronoun he with the present tense of the verb careth, it carries the force of saying, and I do no harm to my King James Bible, it matters to him. Preacher, nobody knows. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't wanna, I'm just going to die. It matters to him. He cares. It matters to him. If something's troubling you, if something's worrying you, it matters to him. Could I be real bold? If it concerns you, it concerns him. 
Preacher, it's just too good to be true. Oh, no. I again say, it's true, it's true, it's true. He cares so much about you and me. If it bothers you, it concerns him. During a period of deep despondency, the old hymn writer penned the words of that old hymn. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Boy, isn't it great about 12 midnight or 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning when the booger man has absolutely worked you over with that thing that's worrying you to death? Isn't it great when the Holy Ghost of God just sweeps through that place where you are and presses on your soul the fact that he cares for you? Isn't that great? I'm not telling you something he said, she said. I'm telling you something I know about by the good grace of God. There have been a few times when Alexander the coppersmith did me evil, friend, and it worried me. But then when the Spirit of God gets through pressing on my spirit, cast it on him because he cares. It's important to him. You are, get it now, you are important to him. I'm not trying to be self-esteem. I'm not trying, I'm telling you on the authority of Peter's words to us, if you're concerned, it concerns him. The antidote for anxiety. Unless we doubt the truth of this revelation, I, I say to you quick, we only need to consider the incarnation. The incarnation. The enfleshing of God the Son. John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, beloved, the Word was not forced to become flesh. Jesus Christ, God the Son, was not coerced or compelled or forced to leave His heavenly throne and come down here. But ladies and gentlemen, He saw you and me lost and on our way to hell and He cared for us. He saw us weighted down with the burdens of earth. He saw those hot scalding tears drip off our cheeks, fall to the floor, and he cared for us. He saw our emotional and mental distress over worries that were too heavy for us to carry. And at the appointed time in the sovereign economy of Almighty God, God the Son rose from the eternal throne of the universe and stepped down through the stars and the moons and the constellations He had spoken into existence in the first Genesis week of creation. He stepped down into our humanity, experienced fully everything, what it is to live down here. Why? Because He cared for us. Jesus left heaven for me. Left the comforts of glory for me. On Calvary He suffered Misery untold. He cared that much for my soul. We see the consolation. Peter says he cares for you. You can cast your care upon. Now quickly, quickly. Three simple steps. I wouldn't be a Baptist preacher to give you three steps, would I? Three steps to the antidote to anxiety. Number one, go to the Lord Jesus Christ for help. Go to him. Secondly, Give to the Lord Jesus Christ the cares and worries that you have. And third, don't miss this one, friend. Glean from the Lord Jesus Christ the peace he gives that passes all understanding. Go to him, give to him, 
glean from him. Three simple steps as you appropriate this marvelous, marvelous truth. Charles Haddon Spurgeon made this statement. He said, it's been well said that anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it only empties today of its strength. It was the poet laureate Alfred Lord Tennyson who said, cast all your cares on God, that anchor holds. And I say amen right there. That anchor holds. I close with something that I read. A preacher was one day busy in his study, his little son, his little boy, small boy, looking at a book of pictures by the fireside. The preacher suddenly remembered a large book he'd left upstairs. And he asked that little boy, son, will you go get that for daddy? The child went, but... He was away for quite some time. And after a while, the father heard the sound of sobbing on the stairs. He went out and looked up and sure enough, there at the top of the staircase, he saw his small son crying bitterly with the large book he'd tried to carry lying there at his feet. Oh, Daddy, Daddy, I can't carry it. It's too heavy for me. The story goes that in a moment the father was up those stairs and listen to me, stooping down, he took that little boy and the book too up in his arms and carried them back to his study. A short time later the thought occurred to him, that's exactly how God treats his children. You may be here today carrying a burden that your family doesn't even know about. You may be carrying a burden that's so heavy it will crush you, but it will destroy you, friend. I want to tell you, there's one who's able to carry you and the burden that you're bearing. Get it, friend. Get it real good in your heart. He cares for you. And he'll carry you all the way home. I mentioned Charles Haddon Spurgeon to you. We know much about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. What a tremendous preacher. But you know, very many people ever read about or speak about his predecessor, Roland Hill. Roland Hill was himself a great expositor of the Word of God. But he was somewhat whimsical. He could be somewhat blunt, so historians say. On one occasion, a woman in his congregation said, Preacher Hill, I got saved in my sleep last night. What do you think of that? He said, well, madam, we'll just have to see how you live now that you're awake, he said. But Roland Hill wrote many, and not many people know this, Roland Hill, the predecessor of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, wrote many wonderful church hymns, one of which he entitled, Cast Thy Burden on the Lord. This segment, and I'm done. Roland Hill wrote, Cast Thy Burden on the Lord. Only lean upon His Word. Thou wilt soon have cause to bless His eternal faithfulness. Leaning upon his word. There is an antidote for anxiety. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you.